2: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See
0: website for details.
2: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media, Mr. Daryl Slater. Daryl? Things are looking good, at least weather-wise, if nothing else. I mean, a little bit of storm and clouds around the Jets, but I'm looking outside, and it's 70 and sunny. Can't beat that.
3: Yeah, second straight nice day here, I think, and uh, it looks like weather should be pretty good tomorrow for the Jets' first open uh, OTA uh, practice that they have, so that should be uh, it's nice to get out there, watch the guys run around in, in, in a nice weather, and uh, obviously just shorts and t-shirts, but you know, it's football practice nonetheless.
2: Let's start there, Daryl. What should we expect at the OTAs? What should we be looking for storyline wise?
3: Yeah, Matt Sipolkoski had a little item up on our site earlier this week because so OTA started on Tuesday. Yesterday, we're talking here on Wednesday, and there's three this week. There's three next week, and then they have the three day mini camp the following week, and then in the fourth week of these spring practices, they have four OTAs. So there's ten total OTAs. Three mandatory minicamp um, practices. Of course, all the OTAs are voluntary. So I think, you know, one thing to look for tomorrow is you're probably not going to see Le'Veon Bell there, which is expected. And as we've been over a million times, not that big of a deal because you know he wasn't at the voluntary minicamp at the end of April, so not a big deal. Uh, let's see. Let's see what Marcus May and Brandon Scheller doing as they return from injuries. I think that'll be an interesting storyline to watch. Of course, Sam Darnold is he's going to be a notable storyline. And what about you know also how they in- incorporate the new guys, uh, James Crowder? Uh, how is CJ Mosley looking as he Kind of incorporates himself into uh, into the defense as a leader. So, uh, a few things there to look for on the field tomorrow. I mean, it, nothing is going to be settled coming out of mar- to tomorrow. But tomorrow is really the start of it. So, just to let you know, people know we were able to watch. So they had three of the voluntary mini camp practices at the end of April that they were able to have because they have a new coach, and then that, then followed by the thirteen other practices that we. I just mentioned. So, all told, they have a eight, eight, uh, 16, um, 16 spring practices, three of which are mandatory. And so, out of those 16, we're able to watch eight of them one of the voluntary OTAs, uh, all three of the mandatory mini camp, and, and then four of the uh, OTAs. So, one of the voluntary mini camp, uh, three of the mandatory mini camp, and then four of the OTAs. I kind of misspoke. but uh, So, we'll watch half of the spring practices all told by the end of it. So, we'll be able to draw some conclusions there. But, you know, a lot of the of what we're writing off these practices is, you know, you got to remember grain of salt because we're only there half the time and that sort of thing. So, and they are voluntary, they're shorts and t-shirt practices. So don't read too much into anything that happens uh, because it's not really, really actual football.
2: Let's talk about Adam Gase now, because he's going to be in full focus once OTA start, but he's already in full focus based on the story that occurred. In fact, right after you and I got off the phone last week is when the news broke about Mike McCagnon no longer being the general manager, Adam Gase, the acting GM. Adam Gase spoke to the media for the first time addressing the issue. What did he have to say?
3: Yeah, so Adam Gase uh, spoke to reporters on Monday, and he took one question, and uh, he really was not... Expected to say anything on Monday um, when he when he met with reporters, um, but he did. He took one question about the situation. He denied there was a power struggle. Of course, you said what you expected him to say. Um, but most of the bulk of the questions, and the rest of them, really are going to be asked uh, tomorrow on Thursday at his press conference after the Jets first or uh, first open OTA practice, third, third OTA practice overall. So uh, that that's really what he said. I mean, he said you know in this in this business bleep like this, he mentioned, you know, that's obviously the reality of the situation. Um, So he was, he was, you know, he said what he said and everyone read it and we all put it out there. So um, that was Monday and now Thursday will be the real deal press conference where he'll be peppered with a lot more questions about this whole thing.
2: And he's making moves already too. We know about Darren Lee getting traded. He did that pretty much right after he assumed control as acting general manager. Now Jordan Leggett gets released. He reunites with Todd Bowles as the Tampa Bay Bucks claimed him off waivers. Some changes in the scouting department. So for a guy that had no interest in controlling the 53-man roster or the football operations, seems interesting that he rushed into those moves, doesn't it?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, look, I'm sure that's not entirely true that he had no interest in having his fingerprints on the team. Does he want to be the singular general manager? I don't think so i think he would like to have someone who's, uh, who shares his vision working with him whether that's joe douglas or whoever um but sure i think that he he wants to some degree uh you know the whole thing about the shopping for the groceries and the cooking whatever whatever the metaphor that's you know sports writers like to lean on that bill parcells said all those years ago you get that you know the deal the groceries the cooking the whole thing um so uh yeah, I think to some degree he would like that. He would like to have the singular vision of the organization be his, which as I mentioned, I don't think we talked about it, but I've mentioned in radio interviews and stuff, that ratchets up the pressure on Gates. I mean, this whole thing just turns up the pressure even more on Adam Gates. Not only is he pressured to develop Sam Darnold and turn this guy into a really good player, uh, now it's Gates's fingerprints all over this organization. It's his vision on this organization. It's not him having to meld the vision with um, Mike McKagan. It's it's a new GM coming in who shares, presumably, Gase's vision. So uh, to me, that ratchets up the pressure considerably on Adam Gates. And yeah, we, one of, that was one of like the thousand things that I ended up writing after we, uh, after we, you and I talked and having to like hop off that call uh, last week. So, But yeah, so yeah, the pressure is definitely ratcheted up on Adam Gates. And in terms of these moves, like I'm not really going to go nuts over a lot of this stuff because Look, I mean, he signed a second punter, not a big deal. He signed a journeyman receiver, not a big deal. Um, he fired a scout, you know, that's probably registered as as fairly minor. Um, and, uh, maybe, you know, look, when the new GM comes in, he's gonna make, he's gonna have his own personnel department for the most part anyway. Um, and then, you know, the, the bigger moves are, yeah, obviously he let, he let Jordan Leggett go, a guy who's been underwhelming anyway. Maybe that was gonna happen anyway. And, um, and the Darren Lee trade, which was another thing that was kind of probably inevitable. And you could argue that maybe they should have waited for a training camp injury and they could have gotten more, but um, they clearly wanted Lee out of there. Um, he had been, you know, obviously a guy who at times had been problematic for the Jets in terms of his off-field behavior. Um, and, and, you know, the, the issue at Governor's Island a couple, or uh, Randall's Island at the music festival a couple of years ago, and then the, uh, the four-game suspension to end last season. So he wasn't exactly the best employee and uh underwhelmed the times on the field even though he was a little better last year especially in coverage he gets a fresh start in Kansas City so I don't I'm not gonna go nuts about any of the moves he made so far um but nor am I you know nor can you really believe him when he says he all he wants to do is coach the team no I mean like like any coach he, he wants his vision to be the vision of the team which makes sense he, I could totally understand that so um but that said you better deliver
1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: I think the thing here is people are confusing Case wanting to do every single thing involving the organization as opposed to wanting to have complete authority and total say over everything. So, yeah, obviously he's not going to be doing the scouting and all stuff like that, but he obviously wants to have the authority to get done what he wants to get done and he doesn't want to have to be second in command and not get what he wants and I think that's a big part of the reason why he's doing some of these moves because Darren Lee to me was a shot across the bow there was no reason that that move had to get done minutes after Mike McCagnon was fired Jordan Leggett didn't have to get cut now training camp isn't even until July so I don't really care I'm not going to miss Jordan Leggett or Darren Lee and it's not a big deal the moves that he made in a vacuum I just think the fact that he's making them now indicates that he very much wants his fingerprints on this team and very much wants this roster to reflect exactly what he wants as opposed to a combination of different people's voices. So we'll see how this continues to develop once the new general manager does come in here because the suspicion is... That whoever it is is going to be somebody with close ties to Gase, which means that Gase will be the de facto most powerful man in the building. Because obviously if you're getting somebody the job and they're coming in here because they can work with you, there's an assumption that you're going to be able to get your way on the major moves and the major decisions. And so let's talk about who those guys could be. You wrote an article over at NJ.com outlining the obvious candidates including joe douglas who is the vp of player personnel the philadelphia eagles and a couple of people that some jets fans may not be as familiar with talk to me a little bit about some of the people that are on the jets shortlist and if you could a little bit more about joe douglas
3: yeah, so, so Joe Douglas, obviously a guy who has helped build the Eagles into a consistent winner, had been there since 2016. So um, a large part of this this process with Howie Roseman in terms of turning the Eagles into one of the better teams in the league. Um, so he would be an interesting candidate. He worked with Adam Gase in 2015. It was only 2015. They, they've remained friends. But Gase was the offensive coordinator with the Bears, and, and Douglas is the college scouting director. So it wasn't like they were working together every single day as, you know, a, an assistant coach and a, and, a, and these player personnel guys they cross paths, but they're not obviously working together every single day. So Douglas would be an intriguing candidate because of his relationship with Gase and because of what he's been able to accomplish um, with the Eagles under Howie Roseman. So I think the notion that uh, Joe Douglas is going to come in and guaranteed be a he's guaranteed to be a great GM is is. Is flawed who knows none of us really know anyone pretending like they know is, it's just guesswork you know it's just total guesswork um so we'll see especially because um you know we don't know when he comes in you know whether he, these decisions are really going to be his or these presumably they do share some kind of a vision but you know they're two different people so they're going to have some differences of opinion but anyway douglas is one guy to consider and another guy that it's kind of interesting. Is Adam Peters? He's the, the VP of Player Personnel of the 49ers. That's the t- title that Douglas has with the Eagles. Um, he was with the Broncos from twenty nineteen to twenty sixteen in college scouting, and uh, so he overlapped with Gase there. Gase was with the Broncos from uh, twenty nineteen to uh, or two thousand nine to two thousand fourteen, and Peters was there from two thousand nine to two thousand sixteen. So some over a significant amount of overlap there with with uh, Gase and Peters. Uh, Peter is obviously, like I said, worked in college scouting, now vice president of player personnel. Um And, they, uh, you know, let's see, you know, what do the Jets want? That's the other thing. Do they want a scouting-oriented GM? Because, like, we've gone through this. How many times have they, you know, John Ibsik, uh they wanted him. They brought him in. He, you know, he was a cap manager guy. But that didn't work out. So then McCagney came in. And they lauded lauded his uh, scouting credentials, and then they fired McEgan because the GM needs to be more than just a player evaluator. It's like, what do you want? Obviously, you want. I mean, it's to me, it's like if you're a, if you can evaluate players and pick great players, it doesn't matter. None of the other stuff matters. But when you when you when your player evaluation skills prove to be not that great, as McEgan have, then the owner says something like, "We need more than a player evaluator." It's like, I mean, yes, being a player evaluator is the primary qualification for the job yes there obviously are bigger parts of it but if you are getting good players it doesn't matter so the bottom line is they just need someone to come in who can get good players and, and competently with the, with the head coach so um that's peters you know douglas peters another guy champ kelly was he's with the bears assistant director of player personnel same situation was also in denver he was there from 2007 to 14 with the broncos uh, he was on the pro scouting side um, with the Bears previously and now uh, worked up to the you know, what his title is now, as I said. So he has a long relationship with Gase in terms of having worked together for a while in in Denver. So that's another one. That's the third one. Lance Newmark in, in Detroit, the director of player personnel there. He's been there his whole career, basically, since 98, so never worked with Gase. Um, and then I think a fifth guy to watch is Will McClay. I don't think he would be inclined necessarily to take the job. He's a really hot up-and-coming GM candidate, so this is probably not the type of job he would want to take. And also, Peyton Manning, probably not taking the job. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, I'm joking, but uh, but yeah. So I think those are some of the candidates that that are they may are watching.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prices. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: Speaking of Peyton Manning, I might as well throw this out there. I spoke to George Bremer, who's my guy when it comes to cult stuff. He's the editor of CNHI Sports in Indianapolis and never steers me wrong. And I asked him about Peyton Manning, and what he told me was it's his understanding that Peyton Manning wants part ownership in any team that he would be involved with. So unless the Johnsons are willing to sell him a small piece of the team, I think you can forget about the possibility of him coming to the New York Jets, which is fine because, quite frankly, there is no proof that Peyton Manning would be able to be a good executive. Just because he's Peyton Manning doesn't necessarily mean that he would be good at making personnel decisions. That's complete guesswork on everybody's part. But since we're assuming Peyton Manning isn't going to be the general manager, and we do know that there's rumblings around Douglas and the guys that you just mentioned, we have any sense of how this process is coming along? To the best of my knowledge, they haven't requested interviews with anybody yet.
3: Yeah, so the Jets are have spent the last couple days kind of going through uh a group of candidates and I would expect the middle of this week here, we're in the middle of the week now, toward the end of the week, they'll start requesting interviews um, and setting things up. So uh, there's no, there's no rush because, you know, they're not competing against anyone, but I'm sure they'd like to like to get the process moving here. And so I, I would expect that to kind of get rolling. But as far as Peyton Manning, I, I have something going up on the site tomorrow kind of spitballing off this whole thing. Like, like you said, just because, you because know, I think Reggie Wayne came out and said, you know, he would be the next Jerry Jones, Peyton Manning would. Part, like, you know, owner slash GM. Obviously, Peyton Manning doesn't have enough money to buy an NFL team outright. Um, so it would be more along the lines of, like, what Derek Jeter has in Miami. Part ownership, then total control over the operations. Uh, and as we've seen with Jeter, just because you're a good player doesn't mean you can be a good GM. Now, it's early early for the Marlins and and the rebuild with Jeter. But like, look at like even Michael Jordan. I mean, he had part ownership initially with the Bobcats Hornets, whatever, and now has full ownership. And he's been terrible, terrible. Like Michael Jordan has been objectively an absolutely awful general manager and owner. Like being a successful player does not correlate to things like hiring a coach, to talent evaluation. It just evidence it, it, evidence shows it does not correlate. I mean, Jerry Jones played, but not at a high level of football. Um, and and yes, he's been by any measure a successful GM owner. Uh, you know, even though they have the Cowboys haven't been good lately. I mean, the guy has three Super Bowl trophies. At the end, the end of discussion. He's successful; as the legacy cemented. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just look at you look at Jeter and you look at Michael Jordan and and it just goes to show that being one of the best to ever do it in your sport means nothing in terms of being able to make the right decisions as a as a GM or an owner. So to that's to your point about, you know, reasonable skepticism around Peyton Manning. And, yes, I don't think that the Johnsons would sell a share of the team to Peyton Manning to get him to come. I think that would be a ridiculous decision, quite frankly, um, because, like you said, you know he hasn't shown that he can do it, um, and he has no relationship with them previously or, or with the team. Yes, he knows the coach, but um, I think that would be even by Christopher Johnson's recent standards of decision making an, an absolutely absurd decision.
2: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. To further bolster your point, Daryl, if you look around at all the major sports where this stuff has been tried, you'll have your occasional success story. Obviously Jerry West is probably the most successful, great player to become a general manager, but for every Jerry West, there are a ton of guys like Isaiah Thomas who have failed. So, just because somebody is a great player, and you named a bunch of them as well, including Derek Jeter, that does not prove that they would be a good executive, or even a good coach, but we'll see how this develops. I have a feeling that the Peyton Manning stuff is more just the Jets... Trying to throw that name out there, and then journalists trying to capitalize on it and get clicks than anything serious. Although we will see how this search unfolds over the coming days and weeks, and when the new general manager gets here, he's going to have to deal with the rumors that are surrounding Le'Veon Bell and Leonard Williams. Some reports suggesting that the Jets could look to trade Bell, who they just signed, that would be insane, or Leonard Williams, who is in the final year of his deal. There's no way this is legit, right, Daryl? They're not actually going to be shopping those two guys right now, right?
3: Well, not right now. It wouldn't really make sense. Um, why would a team trade for Leonard Williams right now, and then you ha- you basically would have to pick up his fifth-year option year here and then sign him to a long-term contract? You're not trading for a guy to just have him at one year for $14 million. So the more likely option for the Jets if they if they don't want Leonard Williams is tag and trade him next year. Um, I think that's that's probably the best option. So, um, or, you know, you let him walk and you get a comp pick for him if you don't think you can get enough in a trade, in a tag and trade situation. Because the tag is lucrative and he would have to get some kind of lucrative contract, obviously, from his next team, like Frank Clark, that type of situation. So, um, with Lady on Bell, I wrote something about it earlier in the week. No, they're not going to trade him. Right now, they just gave him twelve million dollars. They're not trading him right now. Um, is it possible after this season? Um, there's a whole. I have a whole breakdown of it up there on the site. But the reality is, he is due to make thirteen million in cash next year. So, if he's disappointing this year, then the Jets want to trade him. They're probably not going to trade him. They're not going to find anyone who wants him at thirteen million dollars. That's they're just not. If he plays well. Why would the Jets want to trade him? Like that? So it's 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 a self defeating argument. The reality has always been he could be a two year player for this team because he really has a two year twenty seven million dollar contract. It's not a fifty two point five million dollar contract. Those total numbers on NFL contracts are nonsense. It's just the guaranteed money that matters. And because his signing bonus was so low, the Jets can cut him really easily after um, after twenty twenty. So after two years, they could easily cut or trade him. It would have the same cap it. I think they'd have to take on $4 in dead money, but they'd free up a considerable amount of cap space by either trading or cutting him after 2020. So the reality is, if he's disappointing with them, they're probably stuck with him for two years because... Cutting them after next year would, or after 2019, would be too difficult. They they wouldn't be able to free up enough money from a cap perspective to cut them, and no one's going to take that 13 million in 2020 in a trade. So the Jets are probably stuck with him for two years and 27 million dollars, and then after that, the reality now is what the reality always was, which was he could be very easily cut or traded after 2020 that's how they structure the contract. And that's why it really wasn't that bad of a contract. I mean, you could argue whether two years and 27 million is too much for, for him, but there's no guaranteed money into the third year. They're not handcuffed in the third year. Like they are with Tremaine Johnson, like they are with CJ Mosley. Those guys got guarantees into the third year and more significant because Johnson's signing bonus was so significant. It handcuffs the jets into the third year of his contract. Um, and for Mosley, he got guarantees into the third year. So, they're, those guys really have three-year contracts, whereas most NFL players, at best, generally have a two-year contract in terms of, of how the cap structure works. In terms of when you can get rid of a guy based on the guaranteed money, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I, that's why uh, you know, to me, it's like not that bad of a contract. That terrible, and you pay him twenty-seven million over two years. Then you you say, all right, you regret it. Um, but uh, but maybe he's not terrible. So we'll see.
2: This is an issue that whoever the new general manager is, they may have to tackle some point down the line. What are some of the other things that any general manager candidate that comes in here to take the job is really going to have to tackle head-on? Because you wrote a breakdown of this over at NJ.com.
3: Yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of stuff the new GM will have to address. Le'Veon Bell's future eventually will have to be considered. Uh, Leonard, Leonard Williams' situation, that'll be a next off-season thing. They have to figure out Gase and the new GM do about this offensive line. Calvin Beecham, free agent next offseason. Um, Semele uh turns 30 uh, next month. Um, and, how, you know, right guard Brian Winners. what's his situation? You know, the Jets can move on from him after this season. Brian, Brandon Shellett left tackle uh he he is going to be a free agent as well and so the offensive line obviously is a big a big issue uh not finding a number one receiver and what to do with Robbie Anderson in terms of how much money to offer him this season probably has a, will have a lot to do with that and then the, obviously the, the standard stuff in terms of other free agents you know shell and uh Jordan Jenkins and uh, and Beecham. So, uh, edge rusher. Does is, is Jai polite the the answer there? Or do they have to go out and figure that out? What's the long term plan at cornerback? Um, you, you know, does Tremaine Johnson factor in? Will he have a better year this year than he did last year? So, uh, a lot of stuff to consider there. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: I found it interesting, Daryl, that with all the chaos going on around the Jets and people going back and forth with quotes, some saying positive things in terms of the Jets needing to get rid of Mike McCagnin, some saying negative things in terms of the way that everything went down. One guy that you knew you could always depend on for a straight shooting comment and that he was going to tell you exactly what he thought no matter what is former Jets special teams coach Mike Westoff, who had something to say about this. Anytime he opens his mouth, I love it because I know that I'm going to get his real opinion and he's not going to couch it in anything. What did Westhoff have to say?
3: Yeah. I got a chance to catch up with him over the weekend and he, you know, he, he's was pretty candid. I mean, he, he acknowledged that he doesn't know everything there is to know about Adam Gase, but he said what he's seen. He hasn't really been impressed and, and, and wonders what he's done. He's been given. So, um, you know, that's a That's a former NFL coach, um, kind of opinion, candid as always. And, um, you know, he, he singled out actually the Super Bowl where the Broncos lost and got killed by the Seahawks about how Gase didn't do a good enough job. Now, we're just one game, obviously, but a big game. Um, Gase didn't do a good enough job in Off's mind of adjusting the protection when the Seahawks were trying a bunch of different creative blitzes. And so uh, that's Westhoff talking in terms of knocking the game plan that Gase had in that game. So from what he's seen, which he acknowledged is not everything, and now, granted, I mean, He's a successful former NFL coach. It's not like this is Bill Belichick coming out and, and criticizing Adam Gase. It's, it's, it is a successful coach, but, um, you know, I'm sure there are guys on Mike Westoff's level of success who think Adam Gase is a good coach. So this is just a guy with, a, with Jets ties, you know, kind of giving his opinion on the situation. Um, and he said he was surprised, like everyone else, by the timing of the GM firing. These, the timing of these firings has worked in the past. I mean, John Dorsey was fired. Uh, after the season in in the summer, but they had Andy Reid there in Kansas City, so um, Andy Reid was you know had a lot more experience in terms of running things, in terms of being a successful. Coach than Adam Gase does. So this is an interesting move by Chris Johnson. Um, and like I said, it, it I think we talked about it before we got on the air. Did the move, the timing The move itself is fine. I think anyone would have understood if he did it. Chris Johnson did it after last season. The timing maybe will work out fine too. Maybe the Jets get a good GM in here. They've certainly shrunk their pool of candidates, but um, but then maybe they get a good GM who works well with Adam Gates in here. but uh, I think the timing is kind of symptomatic of, of a problem with Christopher Johnson being disconnected from what's going on with the Jets because he really he said in the, in the teleconference with reporters after the firing, you know, that he wanted to take a deep dive into the Jets and he did that late last season and then into the offseason, but the question then becomes like you've had two years as acting owner, what were you doing that whole time? Were you not closely examining the team that you own? You don't have another job, you have hel- helipad access to the Jets facility, like you've never had to work another job, a, a single job uh, your whole day in your life if you didn't want to because you were born into an insane amount of money, and I wrote all these things uh, about this subject, so it's not like I'm um, you know, making up points here on the fly, but like these are these are legitimate questions of that Christopher Johnson, you know, you wonder about him because um, w- were you just not paying attention for two years because the evidence was, was there. For the shortcomings of Mike McCagnan, obviously Adam Gase certainly had something to do with with this decision. Um, But you had an opportunity in 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 January to figure out whether these guys—you knew the personality of the one guy you should have because he's been around for two years. You knew the personality you should know at least the other guy because if you had done your homework while interviewing uh, him in the process, um, you probably should have been able to decide whether this is going to work or not work um, beyond mid—you know—earlier than mid-May. So I think the the issue is. More kind of symptomatic of chris johnson 's kind of disconnect, and you wonder you know if he's capable of doing this granted he 's just two years in and there's going to be a learning process all that stuff so i I get that but um, but why not look closer earlier because it 's not like Chris Johnson has another job this isn't this is not a side gig as I mentioned he can very easily get to the jets facility, got a helipad there to enable him to do that um, so I think Jets fans can look at this and, and wonder whether Chris Johnson has the chops to 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 do this job as a capable owner, um, and which is something they've wondered about Woody Johnson for a long time. And um, yeah, I mean maybe Chris Johnson got a pass because yeah, he he's a nice guy. He's very friendly. He's better in social situations than Woody Johnson is. Uh, he he was um, very supportive of the players during the anthem stuff. I think he handled all that right. He went up to Albany and, and worked with players in social justice issues, which is very admirable because obviously you know, we all, that stuff matters way more than football. But none of it actually has anything to do with whether he can run an NFL team. None of it. I mean, some of it does, I guess. even getting you're having the players not hate your guts and having them like you and you know being li- being well liked and and all that stuff. But like in terms of picking the right people to make decisions, like that's the primary goal you know, picking the right GM, the right coach to run your football operations because Chris Johnson's not running the football operations. So um, that's the primary goal and, and and making these big picture assessments of those people, the GM and a coach. And so far in the limited look we've gotten at Christopher Johnson doing that, he hasn't, he hasn't done a good job. He's come up short in that regard. So I think those other things where he got praise on, um, he certainly deserved praise in those areas, but they're fairly meaningless compared to what the main task of the job is and you have to wonder after this whether he can do the main task of the job and look i mean he'll probably have you know if if donald trump doesn't get reelected and woody johnson comes back um in january of 2021 um then that's probably how much time chris johnson has to to show that he can do this um and but you know maybe it's longer depending on how the 2020 election goes
2: If this is a concern for Jets fans, don't you think this is probably a concern for potential general manager candidates? Because if fans and media here can see this, you have to figure that any potential general manager worth his salt is going to know it. And they would have some major questions about wanting to come into this situation, right?
3: I think for any... um up and coming uh and i think mike cannebell mentioned this last week on the radio i think there's a certain profile of candidate that's going to take the job i mean it's still a pretty good job if you're if you fired your gm that means your team probably isn't very good and you have you have some problems whether it's with ownership or whatever so no situation where a team is looking for a gm is going to be perfect um and this is certainly far from perfect um so I think any, any GM candidate understands that. I mean, the Jets are not going to steal another team's GM in this hiring cycle. That's obvious. Um, and they might not, you know, there are certain up-and-coming GM candidates who are, want no part, surely, to do with this job, whether you're talking about, like, um, George Payton up in Minnesota or maybe Elliot Wolfe even with the Browns. Guys like that might just say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for an opportunity where I can pick my own coach, whatever. But there are certainly a bunch of young up and coming candidates, some of whom we mentioned earlier, guys who work with Adam geese who would say, yeah, I'm going to take this job with, the, you know, they know that Chris, maybe they know Christopher Johnson has kind of suspect decision-making, um, track record, but I mean, no, no situation is going to be perfect for those guys. So I don't think it's going to drive. I don't think that it's going to drive away the guys who would take the job anyway, if that makes sense. Those guys, the guys who weren't going to take the job were already driven away by, um, the fact that they can't pick the coach and they have to come and work under Adam Gase's rules, basically, Chris Johnson and his you know suspect decision making wouldn't even factor in, I don't think, because it would the job in their mind probably would already be disqualified. But I don't think like Joe Douglas would look at the job and say, yeah, I don't want to do it because because of, of Chris Johnson. Or maybe you know may, Joe Douglas is in a pretty good position, so maybe he maybe he decides he wants to stay in Philly. But some of these other candidates we mentioned who are maybe less hot, up and coming. Uh, guys, I don't think they would be driven away by the Chris Johnson factor. I think more so it would be the Adam Gase situation. Do they want to come in and work with Adam Gase under under likely his rules and with his fingerprint on the team?
2: Last order of business, Daryl. I found this interesting. We talked about Jordan Leggett going down to Tampa and reuniting with Todd Bowles. Another move was made down there as Ndamukong Sue signs a one-year deal to go to Tampa. This is a day after they released Gerald McCoy. The reason I found this interesting is because it was said that a lot of the reason why Sue wanted to go there was to work with Todd Bowles. If you remember last season, the Jets were trying to get Kong Sue here, and then Christopher Johnson ended up pulling the plug. The thought at the time was that Sue was just using the Jets for leverage, but I wonder if maybe that wasn't true, if he really wanted to work with Todd Bowles, which seems to be the case. So it kind of all ties back together in a weird way. I wonder if maybe the Jets had offered Sue a certain amount of money if he would have come here last year rather than going to the Rams.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I would guess that Sue is probably getting a decent amount of money in Florida and that the draw there is no state income tax too, so... Yeah, he wants to work with Todd Bowles, but he also wants to, like anybody, make a good amount of money and keep the money that he's making. So (laughs) um, (laughs) the bottom line is the Bucs' defense was terrible last season, so it's a big task here for Todd Bowles to fix it. And, um, you know, they were in a position where they probably had to spend uh, on a player like Ndamukong Sue to help upgrade their defense, even though he's kind of on the back end of his career. So it's an interesting – it'll be an interesting pairing with Todd Bowles and Sue in Tampa, you know largely because of what happened last offseason with the Jets, but um, the Jets didn't need Sue nearly as badly as, uh, and he didn't he didn't have that great of a year, nearly as badly as as probably the Bucks do this offseason, even though there are really no guarantees that he's going to rediscover, you know, his previous success. But it's certainly a fun challenge for Todd Bowles here, trying to repair that defense uh, in Tampa and, and do it with, um, you know, they, they drafted like crazy with the, into their secondary so um, that'll be fascinating to see with a, with a rebuilt young secondary with Sue, can Todd Bowles uh, rebuild that defense and uh, kind of recapture some of his reputation because even if you looked at the defensive side of the ball with the Jets, they were always pretty underwhelming in terms of the numbers um, so he never really, with the Jets, lived up to his reputation as being this defensive guru so I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch down there
2: and Damakong Sue now goes to his third team in three years. He signs another one-year contract. It seems like he's going to be this sort of vagabond character for the rest of his career where he just goes from place to place signing one-year contracts. Daryl, do you think it's too corny for me to nickname him Runaround
3: Sue"? <laughs> no, I think that's actually really clever. I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> that legitimately made me laugh. I laughed out loud, I could say. so. Uh, no, that's good.
2: I'm going to pull a George Costanza then and end on a high note. So, Daryl, thanks for coming on again this week. Really appreciate it. What do you got going on with Matt Stipulkowski over at NJ.com over the next few days?
3: Yeah, so uh, obviously tomorrow is the first day uh, that's open for OTAs. We'll have all sorts of coverage coming out of that in terms of what happens on the field, what Adam Gase says. Uh, and then over the weekend, we're going to start uh, this position analysis stock report series um, of Taking stock in what the new GM will have to work with at various positions. Um, you know who's who's up and who's down at running back and tight end and wide receiver and all that stuff. Who are some pending free agents at each of those positions? Strengths and weaknesses of the positions. So just to look at what's on the plate for the new GM in terms of the talent or lack thereof at at certain positions uh, as we look look ahead to um, uh, what this guy, whoever it is, is going to be working with because that's that's the focus now. I mean, because you know, the drama is is still lingering, but um, now for the Jets, the the order of business is, is how can they try to turn this thing into a winner? And uh, who do they have on the current roster uh, to to do that with? And uh, that's, that's something the new GM will have to tackle along with Adam Gase. And the Jets obviously aren't there yet from a roster perspective, but I think they're definitely in a better situation than they were, say, you know, when they started this rebuild, um, basically two years ago when they gutted the roster after the 2016 season. So there's pieces there. There's not enough pieces. Um, and it'll be up to the new GM and to Gase to try to finish the job and get this team to a point where, uh, you know, potential becomes results.
2: The media will get a look at OTAs tomorrow. That'll be the first time during OTA season. Daryl and Matt will have plenty of coverage over at NJ.com. We'll have coverage on this podcast. So make sure you're following Daryl on Twitter. Make sure you're reading Matt and Daryl over at NJ.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.